0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on us our guest, Dr. Kelly Vincent. Dr. Vincent is a licensed clinical psychologist and owner of Nourish Wellness Group, a holistic group mental health practice located in Encinitas, California. She is passionate about working with women who are struggling with anxiety, trauma, depression, self-esteem, and navigating life transitions. She utilizes a mind-body approach when working with her clients, often supplementing traditional talk therapy with EMDR, yoga therapy, meditation visualization work, walk talk, and somatic therapies. Today, we explore what is high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, Kelly. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. Before we started recording, we were talking about what we wanted to focus on today, and I think it's going to be a really interesting topic, which is high-functioning anxiety. Yes, it's a
1: crowd pleaser from the Instagram world.
0: Yeah. So what encompasses that high-functioning anxiety? Can you talk to us a little bit about it? Yes. So
1: essentially I have realized both in my clinical practice and then within the social media world that so many can resonate with this term. A lot of women tend to really resonate, but not to say that men or non-binary individuals can't either, but women seem to grasp onto it and feel a sense of being just very seen. And first I have to say that it's a non-clinical term. It's not in the DSM. It's not a diagnosis. It's more of a way to describe a type of anxiety is how I usually define it, but essentially it's someone who is struggling with anxiety, both in the mind and body, but don't meet criteria or full criteria for an anxiety disorder. So they're functioning from the outside. They're successful. They're achievement oriented. They're outgoing. Maybe they're doing all the things, if you will. And you're like, wow, that gal's got it going on. But on the inside, they're riddled with worry or fear or overwhelm, maybe a lot of physical sensations and somatic manifestations of it and can can't really seem to kind of kick it or feel a sense of grounding or ease or at peace, but kind of just sit on this hamster wheel because it's just what they've known. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. We do a lot of roots work to try to figure it out, but nonetheless, so it's this idea of functioning in a way from society's terms is successful and good and, and wonderful, but on the inside, it's really anything but that. It was usually the high arching way of looking
0: at it. Do you also see it in the sense that the anxiety is driving the accomplishment? Yes, because if, I mean, again, it depends on the person,
1: depends on their history, depends on their background, but it's almost a self reinforcing kind of thing. So the anxiety can be a motivator. Anxiety can be helpful, right? Stress can be helpful sometimes. It gets things done. Maybe it helps us avoid procrastination or whatnot. We feel this sense of need to do something in order to accomplish it or whatnot. So, yes, it can be helpful, but then it reinforces that behavior once you've done well or you've been validated for it or praised for it. You continue to kind of operate operate and function in that same way. But the big issue here is it's not sustainable. So maybe short-term, it's a great way of functioning and and getting things done and achieving. But long-term, it's taxing the system because essentially the nervous system is constantly being activated in a more of that fight flight way, right? More of that sympathetic way. And if we're never sort of turning that off and we're never integrating any restorative rest or stillness or present or anything like that, the system is just perpetually going. So that's where long-term impact is the real issue. And this is when usually people feel so seen because they've been struggling for a while now, but can't really figure out sort of the why. And I usually then pair in a lot of that nervous system education because that tends to what's happened. So dysregulation struggle in in my
0: perspective. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned in the beginning, and we're talking about the somatic experience of somebody, what might some of those physical symptoms be? Oh
1: yeah. I mean, so it's a lot of the classic anxiety symptoms, right? So struggling to maybe catch your breath or feeling those deep, smooth type breaths, right? You're really kind of just on the go. That could be another thing where you feel like your system is constantly going. It can't settle. It's just not restful. You feel this sense of sensation, like pulsing through your body can be a big one. Excessive worry obviously then leads to maybe headaches. That's another big one. Somatically a lot of muscle tension, right? Because if you think about sort of the nervous system being activated more towards that fight flight or sympathetic zone, where we tend to sort of clench up and you can't see me as what I'm doing, but I'm like holding my shoulders up to my ears and clenching sort of fists because we're in that defensive state. We might not know we're holding our body our physical body, like that day in and day out. But then we kind of get home and we're like, oh, I feel so sore. And it's often because we're just in that very intense type of state all day long. Other oh, somatic. There can be so many somatic. And it just kind of depends on the human and how they internalize their stress
0: and respond to it. But yeah, a lot. So going back to maybe this idea of for goal-oriented individuals, mm-hmm. why might they seek therapy for this sort of thing? And Mm -hmm. I also wonder if we could talk about how hard it might be to let go of that pattern. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So why they usually
1: seek, or at least least from my perspective, and even in my own experience, I feel like I'm a recovering, high-functioning anxiety type of human and a lot of other things. But it's usually burnout. It's usually overwhelm. It's usually when other priorities come into their life and they can't necessarily do it all, if you will, because they're not superhuman. So like say kids and other huge priorities that take a lot of energy and effort, but it it tends to be burnout and overwhelm or the anxiety starts to get really exasperated, right? They start to move into that generalized anxiety where now they're worrying about so much where they might kind of be teetering that line of it being more diagnosable than just the way of functioning.
0: So sounds like moving into that line of them saying, "Oh wait, now this is counterproductive."
1: Yes, yeah, this isn't serving me. This isn't helping me. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Or, or the the physical manifestations of it start to become more pronounced. They're having headaches constantly. They're just feeling so disconnected from themselves. I've had some clients describe it as like they just feel like a shell of a human. They're just kind of operating in a way on autopilot, when they're still getting their stuff done, but they get home and they're just utterly exhausted and have no time and energy for their family or their kids or whatnot. So. They kind of get to that point of like, something's got to change. I got to do something about this. And I always kind of, and I just literally had a conversation with a client right before this. And we were talking about neuroplasticity. We were talking about those neural pathways being well-defined year over year over year and how we get settled into those ways of being. And also it can be most of the time. It's also contributed from childhood experiences, maybe traumas or, or those kinds of things or family systems. So yes, you become habituated to that way of being. You also might get your worth from that. You might feel there's an association between productivity and success or not being productive is lazy, right? There's all these associations. So yeah, it can be very, very hard. (laughs) And you really do have to, at least from my perspective, build the awareness around it. So build the insight, the understanding of the why, separate your identity from your behaviors. This isn't something that's flawed or broken about you. This is probably something that originally was a really adaptive coping skill and now it's become not so adaptive and not so helpful so really trying to get the landscape of the perspective of the issue and then you start to move into experimentation with a different way of being different shifts in your life or a big one for a lot of individuals in this struggle is the nervous system regulation so feeling a sense of safety and comfort in feeling regulated versus that habituation to usually kind of stuck on or even swings to being stuck off But we have to get unhabituated to that feeling and addicted to that feeling of being stuck on and kind of coming back into what they would call the window of tolerance, where we feel a sense of ease and flow between the different states of our nervous system. We have to kind of build that in. And that just takes practice and experimenting and easing into that because it can really overwhelm the system if the brain is so used to one way and we know that the brain loves familiar. So the more we can kind of show it a new way of being and do that on repeat, then we start to feel a sense of ease and relief, but it takes time for sure. It takes time.
0: Yeah. It's this idea also that people seek care and mental health treatment because they know something should change. They don't want to continue to be a certain way. And it's distressing, whether it's psychologically distressing or physically distressing. Yes. And this is not always the case for everybody, but this idea that they know they do need to change, but the change is so hard. Yeah. But, I think the change becomes easier once they do see that it actually is more productive to let go of this. Totally.
1: 100%. Yes. And they start to feel what it feels like to do it differently. They start to feel a different kind of content or ease or ooh this feels kind of nice or this feels a little relieving, right? Like can you build on that? But yeah, I would say with so many of my clients cuz I tend to look at it from a very holistic picture and we're trying to understand just anxiety and all the different aspects of them from nutrition to sleep to environment to community, all the different pieces. And when they see that big sort of conceptualization of all these things that are rolling into the present day experience, they kind of can see like, okay, there's a lot going on underneath the surface. And there's a lot of reasons to why I am the way that I am, which then gives them again, context, which then gives them motivation I've noticed to then maybe do something differently. And I usually tell them like, especially with more of my high functioning anxiety folks, or just my really anxious folks, for instance, let's not meditate first because being completely still is going to freak your body and brain out. It's going to be like, sound the alarms. This does not feel safe because you're so habituated to going. So what if we just try in motion meditation, like being out in the sunshine, if there is sun or being in nature, something to kind of get your body and brain still, I'm putting air quotes, but not necessarily totally still like a meditation. Let's work up to a meditation because that's a beautiful practice, but we can't really do that right out of the gate because of where you're you're at. So you got to kind of meet yourself where you're at and just start slow. And yeah, the process is a marathon versus a sprint, which can be hard to accept that piece of it
0: for sure. You had mentioned in the very beginning, this is such a, like a popular term on yeah. social media. Why? Like know. people really connect with this way of being?
1: Yes. I think that, and I think society and culture, we tend to have been living in a bit of a hustle culture or just a very on the go type of culture. So I think they feel seen in that. I also think people, this is my own hypothesis. I think people like the word functioning is in there, right? They're not so bad that they're disordered, right? Because I think people have a stigma against certain disorders that a psychologist, psychiatrist would deem them to be. So I think there's an element of relief, like, okay, like I'm still struggling, but it's manageable, right? Or there's like hope, but I don't know. It's been wild to kind of see, to put out somewhat information. Again, there's no research. It's a Way of being described versus it being founded in like research and things like that. But yeah, a lot of people seem to feel that that's what they're managing, what they're dealing with. So it's been eye opening for me too.
0: Clinically, though, I mean, you treat it like anxiety and there are clear ways and successful ways of
1: treating it. Yeah. And that's usually the route I go. And I might assess are they really GAD or generalized anxiety? Is that really what's kind of happening? But nonetheless, it doesn't really matter to me in general. If I know it's anxiety, then I'll kind of use the different approaches that I use for that anyways. I just think they liked a name for it versus like the generalized anxiety. So like, well, I don't necessarily worry about all these different things. It's that kind of thing. And sometimes we were talking about this a little bit before we were recording, but imposter syndrome is kind of another one where it's not like a diagnosis. It's more of what I describe an experience of anxiety. It's just a very specific manifestation of it. But again, yes. We're talking about anxiety at the end of the day. We're talking about our stress response. We're talking about a dysregulated nervous system. So let's zone in on that and kind of educate you on that and explore the roots and and understand the why, and then move towards more of that like practical application in your day-to-day life. Yeah. What I was going to ask is kind of the process of therapy, but
0: we kind of went over that.
1: Yeah. And a big piece of the work that I do in our practice too, is again, that holistic way of thinking about it. And if we need to supplement their treatment plans with say what we call holistic providers, like for instance, it's like an acupuncturist, right? So I can't necessarily get at the body level of where the anxiety is held, right? Because we know that emotions are held in the body, traumas are held in the body. And so sometimes I can only get at a certain depth of what's going on. So I might bring in like an acupuncturist to release some of that physical tension that they've been holding because that can kind of help release it in a different way. So that's a big piece of of our work too, is trying to understand how to support them. Or if it's acute, right? We might reach out to you all to be like, hey, we we need something to help alleviate what's going on because the functioning is starting to deteriorate, right? So there's all these other supplemental ways to support the person because of course, there's so many parts of them. There's so many aspects of them. Same thing with nutrition. That's a huge one, right? Like I'll ask the client do you drink caffeine? They're like, yeah, yeah, of course. And I'm like, well, how much do you drink, right? So even just some simple tweaks to the amount of caffeinated beverages that they're taking in can then obviously impact the anxiety that they're feeling, right? So, and even stuff like that, some people, it's like a light bulb, like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? But we don't necessarily think of that. We're just sort of like, something's wrong, fix it kind of thing. So we have to look at all aspects of them.
0: Well, I will make sure that if the listener wants to learn more about this, they'll have Mm -hmm. your information on the episode description. But I often ask also, are there any like good reads or books that you might recommend to somebody who might want to just do more of their own research about this? And Yeah, I mean, all kinds
1: of books. And it depends on how heady you are. But I love, I mean, this is a bigger overarching one, but the, I'm sure you feel my, the body keeps the score. I feel like can be a very good one. Yes, it's a little dense, but in general, it gives so much information to the mind-body connection. I also love anything polyvagal theory. And one that really breaks it down in a more clinical way that's more applicable, but also in just sort of a layperson's way is a Deb Dana's work. So she has a few books out there. She works very closely with Stephen Porges, who developed polyvagal theory and whatnot. So um, I think she has one book, Befriending the Nervous System. Because again, like I said, my my perspective is that so much of it is a dysregulated nervous system and an inability to feel a sense of safety and calm um, within your body and in your mind. So I think learning about the nervous system can be a really good place to start if you're kind of fresh, non-threatening too. Yes. Yes. And you can read about it. You don't have to do anything change wise, but just read about it. Just learn about it. Learn about what's going on the inside. I think can be really, really eye opening.
0: Yeah. Well, let's make sure those are on the episode description too. So if someone wants to to learn more and do some research and get started and thinking about this, that might be a good place to start. Totally. Any last words you want to leave the listener with? I just think again,
1: that concept of nothing being wrong with you and you're not, being broken. We're all human. We all have our experiences. We all have things that contribute to those experiences and those behavioral manifestations. But just that idea that we kind of take some time and some space to just look inward and understand ourselves on on those deeper levels, we get relief in that. So just you're human is probably what I would say. Everyone needs to remind themselves they're human.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe.